Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-reg and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals. And it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrail, which is my next sponsor. Versatrail has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place. Not to mention, they do a lot on the feasibility side, which makes feasibility surveys a breeze. Check it out. This is a company that is going places. Versatrail. My next sponsor is Creo. I've been using Creo for years. They are eSource and eReg and CTMS and patient database and eConsent and so many more other things. And while they are not free, I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept the study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own, specifically DSCS, where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of, a shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee. And then we have the CRA, CRC Academies, and everything else. Hey, Guru Nation. Thank you so much for watching, listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Look, guys and gals, we got a special guest, Bree Burks. She's the Vice President of Strategy Site Solutions at Viva Systems. Uh, full disclosure, transparency, I am uh, sponsored by Viva, as well as Creo, Versatrial, and Inato. But I am a fan of these things before I got sponsored. So Bree is on. She's been on before. Talk about her career. Amazing background. Her LinkedIn profile is underneath this video or in the podcast show notes, by the way. Uh, absolute must connect with Bree. She's a thought leader in the space. And she's on the forefront now with Viva of eliminating paper. 
not reducing, guys, mm -hmm. eliminating. And I want to preface this by saying I have not gone all the way there. We're still a little touchy-feely on some paper. Like, oh, I like to fill my DOA log. Occasionally a consent, although we're getting more comfortable with e-consent. But occasionally there's a glitch and somebody can't sign so we get a print yeah after half of it's been e-signed to finish a lot of it's still early early days of this stuff and and the e-consent's not with viva by the way guys uh that's with creo that we use e-consent but um i'm not fully ready and i know brie the scary part is i consider myself somewhat of an early adopter Mm -hmm. So if I'm not fully ready, mm -hmm. there's a long tail, a long, and I mean the majority of sites right. that haven't even taken the first step. Right. So when we're talking about eliminating all paper and all wet ink signatures, mm -hmm. this is a huge, huge, ambitious, lofty ideal that we hope to get to. It's like your mission right now to make sure this happens. Right. Right. Why? Why? Maybe start with why and then we'll get into like well, specific. you you grabbed that question for me because I was gonna say, why aren't you? Tell me your reason. <laughs> Are they strong enough? So I'll ask you that next, I guess. Um I think that completely get you can't really completely get rid of paper if you're not using electronic signatures. So to me, that's kind of the easiest way to describe or or to try to get people motivated of like, you, in order to really be fully electronic, I'm not going to say digital, but like fully electronic, you have to get rid of your paper. And if you are still wedding signing things, you are not getting rid of paper. So maybe the question then is like, well, why does it matter to get rid of paper? What does that do for you? And I think that... As we look at some of the major challenges of our industry, you know, complexity of trials, we cannot retain staff. The st we have a major workforce issue in the industry. We really have to think about working smarter and coming into the current, you know, century and, and using technology to help research sites to truly empower research sites to work smarter mm -hmm. and be more efficient with what they have. And I think to keep their staff happier. I mean, I it is, I that was such a hard thing for me to do personally, and then to tell my staff that all the expertise that you have, your love for patients and science, it is worth you spending some of them hours a week chasing down signatures. Like, what a terrible use of <laughs> people's time at sites. Truly, you know, and and I think that. When I when I think about the awesome people at sites that do this work, they have so much empathy for patients and they they are trying to force themselves to be resilient with the archaic ways of working and with spending their time in really non-meaningful ways. So small things are big for them. So being able to even just tell your staff like your time is more valuable than to wait with a highlighted tab and confirm over and over again, wait outside the door for a signature. I actually think <laughs> that's that. pretty meaningful. We right? still do so that. We we use Creo, like I said, for eSource. Uh, mm -hmm. And it does have a feature that I just learned about where you can actually 
annotate a PDF and the PI can check CS, NCS right on the form. I think it's just like you mentioned something about your employees will be happy. I agree, but they have to get there. Like when I started human clinical trials two years ago, I didn't give anyone a choice. Like we're using eSource right. and we're using eReg. And that was like a big thing for me because I was never really on that bandwagon. Mm -hmm. uh, even the, now to this day, we're not fully like free of paper, but we're eSource and eReg. Right. So my staff, my new staff didn't know any better. They just learned it this way. So for them, yeah, they're happier. Like if I give them paper now, they would hate it, right? They already right. hate the few paper they do have, right. like lab results here and there. A DOA log, which we're going to get into, right. like they they're on board with this, mm -hmm. but we have many sites out there that are just holding on to sacred cows. I sure. know many of these coordinators, sure, and they're not necessarily just older in age. Right. Like, there's plenty of young people that have been taught this is our fifteen seventy two. Sure, the PI sure. signs it with wet ink. Sure. That's just the way it is. And if like for those people, I think a lot of site owners don't want to make those people unhappy by switching. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. know you and I both know they'll be happier eventually. Right. But it's that that in between, like it's just like working out. If we work out every day for like three months, we lift weight, we do everything right. We're going to look good and we're going right. to like it. Right. But that three month period is going to be right. hell. <laughs> it is, but it's going to be worth it. Like, just like you said, I mean, you just contradicted your point of like, you, we know it's going to be worth it, right? Like, yeah. And I think that as technology companies, you know, being in a technology company, you really do, we, we are trying to build the future, which is not necessarily what people are asking for right now, which is, which is not just speaking to their current level of comfort. But that is what, it, take any great technology company, that is what they do, is they build the future. And so I think we do need to, and, and I really do think we owe it to our patients and we owe it to ourselves to not use that, well, people don't like change and we have these great, you know, coordinators that really don't want to adopt it. That is only going to be a short-term problem. Mm-hmm. It really is only going to be a short-term problem. And then what they get is the ability potentially to work remotely a little bit more, the ability to get time back in their day, the ability to much more easily hassle and identify where their signatures are outstanding. And, and save space. Save space. Yes. I was just talking to you before the interview. My PI came up here. He might come in again, but we've, we're outgrowing our space. Mm -hmm. And that's without paper. If we were using paper source, paper reg, oh, we would have outgrown this place right. within six months of starting. Now we're at the two-year mark, and it's mostly everything digital, e-source, e-reg. So now I have to go rent a space, mm -hmm. but I no longer need to look because we're still using exam rooms at the clinic. I no longer need a room that can accommodate just massive charts everywhere like mm -hmm. there, i used to have mm -hmm. bookshelves of charts like Same. Mm -hmm. bookshelves that takes up square footage we can actually reduce our work space which is yeah. actually like helps yeah. the sites with their bottom line yeah by doing this not to mention it just looks better to have like a minimalist office versus like a place with binders everywhere and 
you know, but like it's okay. it's obvious once you do it, but the hard part's like getting there. Mm-hmm. But it's not that I would argue it's not as hard <laughs> as you might think. Right. Right. Because you need to, I mean, you're going to have to look at your different options. You're going to need to put some SOPs in place. You're going to need to do a little bit of training, but that front end investment is going to save you so much time and it's worth doing. I mean, there, there have been so many sites that have, you are using actively electronic signatures now. It's, it's worth the upfront investment and it's not as big as you think it is. Right. I would yeah. argue. And you can even start with something like Adobe Professional. Like good to learn how to e-sign, like just get comfortable okay. with it before you go all in with Viva yeah. sites.viva.com, by the way, guys. You you could. I I mean, I'm biased because the way that you know the day-to-day technology that I support, this is part of an e-regulatory system. And I do think that's something to think about. Um, and and any e-regulatory solution is going to offer e-signature just because it gets back to the heart of one more great tool, but it's not connected to anything else. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of have that conversation with yourself of what do we, tr- what is our goal of implementing electronic tronic signatures? And if it is a stepping stone to then be able to do much more because you want to not just go electronic, but you want to go like really digital with all of your workflows, then I would say, think about doing it right off the bat with an e-reg solution, even if you don't use all the other components of it to start out with, or you say like the problem that we're trying to solve, we have an immediate specific need for certain document types to be able to be signed. Everybody loves Adobe or DocuSign or whatever. And then maybe it makes sense for you in that way. But I would also say like the e-signature, just getting rid of wet signatures, it is truly a stepping stone to be able to do so much more. Yes. What we've seen with our customers is like, it's one of the biggest hurdles to jump. But when you <laughs> jump it, you are so much more willing because now you don't have papers. Now you're, you're truly relying on the source of all of your documentation being in one place, you're much more willing to take advantage of the other tools that that technology offers. And it's, it, you get, you jump that hurdle and you can go all in much easier. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing about those things you mentioned, the PDF uh, professional or the mm-hmm. Adobe PDF, the DocuSign, mm-hmm. do you, those are not free. You have to pay for those two guys. <laughs> right. I learned the hard way. Um, and, Diva site vault is free. Like you guys really believe enough in this paradigm to where you're investing. Like it doesn't cost, it costs you guys a lot to have these services. You guys are constantly maintaining it. So for you guys to make that bet and put this out there, uh, I think it's pretty telling of you. And you guys are not just a startup. Like you guys study the market and you think this is where the industry not only will go, but should go. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have this goal at Viva to decrease the timelines associated with clinical trials by 25% in 2025 and the costs by 25%. That's never going to happen if we can't help optimize sites. You know, like sites, you all struggle so much with just the day-to-day and really, let's be honest, like not being able to be at the table with everybody else 
with all the stakeholders and designing the trial and choosing the tech and all that stuff, right? DCT so, guidance. <laughs> <laughs> so many rabbit holes we could go down. So it was really important that we provide great technology to research sites and that the finances weren't a barrier because we saw that as such a big barrier. And you're going to turn around and you're going to have to put some sort of tax on that and you're going to charge it back to your sponsors anyways. And we already have access to contracts and working with sponsors and things like that. So it was an easy pathway for us to invest in and then to try to get our sponsors to leverage, you know, sites being on our technology and going fully paperless. And it's just a win-win. It just feels like such a win-win. Do you know how we started with like how I personally, it's a small organization, but mm -hmm. I eased into it using it for study startup. Mm -hmm. So CDAs, I mean, mm -hmm. I got sick of chasing my PI down for a CDA. I mean, it's so stupid. Right. Like he, they don't even care what right. they're signing. So email it, text them. Hey, just sign this. Boom. Now we get the feasibility. Okay. Protocol right. signature page here. Same thing. I started yeah. easing into it. Yeah. It gets more and more complex, though. As as the study goes from startup to activation, mm -hmm. you start getting things where sponsors are a little funny with. Like, well, 1572, it needs to be like, okay, you can digitally sign. I used to get this thing where they said, well, you can digitally sign, but you have to wet ink the signature. And then they got rid of that and said, okay, you can do it, but it has to be in the box. And then they all have their own different like processes now. So and it gets more complex, like the later yeah. you go. You're you're right in that. I mean, especially at, I mean, we have that struggle with turnover at the CRA level too. And you're right in that part of the upfront training is really a lot less about how to actually use electronic signature functionality, but more about empowering your site staff as to why this is absolutely okay. Like, what does the FDA say? How do you reference that in your SOP? How do you just get wind of a CRA starting to have this conversation? You say, here's our SOP, read the SOP. And if you have any questions, let me know. Um, and that's really, though that will, I mean, what we've seen is that shuts a lot of conversations down. So we, we provide an SOP resource center and we have SOP yes. templates for like very good e-signatures, e-regulatory, certified copies, remote monitoring, all the things that kind of come along with getting rid of the paper. And it is shocking how if you have a signed SOP and you can educate, because a lot of this is a lack of education, educate the CRAs as to the regulations in a way that's very repeatable. Just here's my SOP. Um, then these conversations really do get shut down. You know, That's it is though, Bree, like, because now it's getting more psychological, but I do want to get back a little bit before we move, like shift gears to mm -hmm. psychotherapy. Uh, some of these forms like 1572, we discussed, mm -hmm. but like financial disclosure form, right? They have boxes right. you have to check. Mm -hmm. And does Viva have that capability of uh, checking boxes or, does that have to be done with something else first? Like we've been doing it with just mm -hmm. wet ink and then uploading, mm -hmm. signing, and then shredding. So we're kind of paperless, but we're like, mm -hmm. we're one step removed from being paperless. Like there was a paper at one point, but it's yeah. been shredded. <laughs> yeah. So we have our signature attestation at the, it's funny because Brad and I were just talking about this. Um, 
at the back of the form. And we don't necessarily have, you need to sign in this block and you need to sign in that block. And the the newer FDA guidance that just came out in March talks about how specifically describes how that's fine. You don't have to actually sign on the line. And I'll tell you why we do that. It's not because we're not, um, it's not because we don't want to give you that functionality that you're used to and love just because it would be more work for us, but it would actually be more work for you as a user to figure out, well, who is everyone's role on the study and where do they actually need to sign? And what if they sign in the wrong block? When the system knows your role and then can prompt the reason why you're signing for mm-hmm. you and can reuse that role across your documents and give you basically like a back page. And we're also not the only technology company that does this. Several do. Right. Just because it gives you a clearer history and it takes the burden off of you as a user to have to say, this person for this page signs this block and this person signs this block and this person signs this block. And then you have to check that they all sign the right blocks mm-hmm. versus just knowing this is this, this person is a PI. I know that that's their role across the study. I'm going to give them the right attestation and then make a, basically a pin that into the back of the form and give a really nice um, version history of all the signatures and reasons. It saves everybody time. So these are other things where like we're talking to the FDA as a company to say, hey, we don't, that is transferring a paper process into an electronic signature. Is it really necessary? Why do we have to, those those blocks basically say what your role is on the study. Well, we already know that. So why give you more work to do? So those are some things that are good to think through as you're trying to think about what technology you want to use to do this. Because it will take more time to tee up if if you're if you select who signs where for every single form, it's just more to manage. That's true. Good point. I mean, so many times sub I writes their name in the PI yeah. box for uh, financial disclosure form, and you right. get to redo it. And then the dates uh, a later date, so that's that's later than when the the training occurred. There's like different problems that come. Amending that, that, like, oh my gosh, amending 1572. Holy cow. Like if, and if you don't do that right electronically, you know, that can, that can get you in a mess too. So we have just found for how frequently these documents are updated. And the fact that we already know the roles people play, it seems like it's a better user experience to not recreate the you sign here and there in a system where we already know everyone's role. I see. So, yeah, so that makes another sense. thing to wrap your mind around to get into this process. But, you know, once you do, then you don't have to think about and manage all these signature blocks across all of your different forms. That's true. Because when I when we started using SiteVault, we had to assign roles for users across mm-hmm. different studies and from PI, sub-I's, coordinators, other staff. That's right. Um, so it makes sense. It kind of does that for you without you having to think or somebody having to think, okay, this is a sub-I, this is a PI. Um, Makes sense. Now, what about the DOA log, the delegation of authorities, delegation of duties, whatever it's called? I think we've done this for one study so far. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, with you it's because we were forced to do it <laughs> it wasn't viva it was another vendor that the sponsor chose and okay we were forced but but it showed me that it doesn't bite and right. i'm willing to try it on viva site for our next study 
Um, and Creo also has the same features. Like a lot of the vendors are starting to incorporate these things. So it's not just you guys. Mm -hmm. Yours is the only one that's free and accessible to sites that I'm aware of so far. And that sites can choose on their own mm -hmm. uh, without being forced. What Maybe let's talk a little bit about this before we get into psychotherapy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I haven't forgotten about that. Okay. What's the advantage of being an early adopter? Because there's a lot of disadvantages, Bree. You brought up a few. You might get into some arguments with some CRAs. Mm -hmm. You have to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of sites are conflict averse. <laughs> They're like, hey, we know our role on the totem pole. Yeah. Right. Whatever you say, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to, um, it was interesting how I was at a conference last week and we, I was at a regulatory, promise I was a tie, I was in a regulatory like workshop and one of the women stood up and like jokingly but seriously said like, look how this is a room full of women. Men would not put up with this BS. Like <laughs> all the you know, in general, like not all, Men but like, would not. In general, <laughs> yeah, like just all the things that we're talking about, signatures and versioning and documents. And like, it's just, it has become so tedious. And, you um, know, I would say that again, what I said earlier is the small wins for your staff when they're working so hard and trying to build up this resiliency, like the DOA traditional way that we run DOAs on paper is a nightmare. That thing is never right. It is getting signed like crazy. Nightmare. Those little letters, it. those little numbers. It is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's literally never finished, you know, and like, God forbid you spill coffee or something. Like it is oh. such a, in the FDA audit <laughs> I went through where I was personally in the room with the auditor, it's one of the main things that gets pulled. And then they're looking at that to tie it back to training and all these other things and I mean, that always just gave me massive heart palpitation. So I think that the problem is like, it is a, it is a beast to manage those DOAs. And when you go electronic, you really do not only save a lot of time, but it can also help ensure that, that there's checks and balances in place that you can't do with paper. But that's where I would say like, this is going to make your staff really happy. It's going to make you a lot more compliant. It's going to save a lot of time. It's like an extra set of eyes. Can you explain a little bit how that yeah. checks and balances works? Yeah. So if you think about it, that that delegation is like a gold mine of so much information. But when you just write it out on paper and every single one is different provided by your sponsor, like you're missing out on checks and balances and actually like great data on like your staff and what they're doing and what they should and should not be doing. So here's here's how that can function like in a, in a system. Um, you can set up your responsibilities that you want to track across your site, like things that are resource heavy, you know, yes, you can. And most of these, you can sort of tailor them to the sponsors DOA, but I would say, and generally you should try to think about things you want to actually track across your studies and attract your, across your people, like who can do phlebotomy, who has, who has participated in double blind studies, who can give investigational product? How many times have they done that? Um, so if you set up, if you have a DOA system that actually looks at those pieces as data across your studies, 
and then looks at them tied to a person. Can Brie do phlebotomy or can she not? So that when you tee up a study and you add me, there is awareness of this is not a skill I've done before. Or this is actually not a skill that the study even requires at the study level. So this check and balance of what can your staff do and what does the study require? It's also a great way because I feel like when you start the DOA log, that's when you're generally at your site thinking about who is actually going to do what for the study. And if you could use some data on your staff of what they're currently doing across other studies and what they've done historically to really find the right person to do the double blind study, give the investigational product and do phlebotomy. Who at your staff could potentially do that and has the most expertise? Or what have they never done before that you should probably train them up on or at least have a conversation with them about before they do it for the first time on the study? That's sort of the checks and balancing balances that I'm talking about. There's like very important data in those DOAs. And I can't remember my onboarding process with Sightball. Mm -hmm. I did it, I want to say four months ago. Mm -hmm. maybe longer now um mm -hmm. started using it more for the signatures but just easing into it it because i to me it sounds like the trade-off and I, I honestly can't remember my onboarding process but it didn't seem difficult the trade-off mm -hmm. for that check and balances would be it's a little more cumbersome to create a, a profile you, initially yeah you have to set up people and what they can do. And we start with um, suggested responsibilities. There's just under 30 of them. And you can create your own or you can scrap them. But we've kind of looked at them as like best practices and things that we think sites want to potentially trend across their staff, across their studies. So you don't start from scratch. You can add your own. You can update what we have. And then you add your people in there and you say, out of those responsibilities at your site, what can they do? So that is probably there is more set up there for sure but the downstream is then when you add in your studies and you add in your people we pre-populate what we think that person should be doing based on what the study requires and what that person's already credentialed to based do. on what the study requires interesting so that's another cool thing is like then you can set up your study and say well do all these apply or there's some ones that are not going to apply for the study because this one doesn't have an investigational product this one is not blinded this one doesn't have phlebotomy for example you turn those off and then you add your people and then we suggest to you you can override it like what should they be doing for the mm. study and then you can pull a report on Bree what have I done across my studies? What am I actively doing across my studies? And get a better understanding of things like, should your more senior people be doing a ton of data entry? You know, should they, sh should you make sure your more senior people are doing some of the higher level activities um, in your studies? And kind of giving, just arming yourself with some more insights before you choose who is doing what across studies. Right. How, and I guess maybe we can talk a little bit about how Viva, because Viva's been a household name for sponsors for a decade at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, sponsors use this for their TMFs, right? They use it for um, sharing the documents amongst themselves. There's already a lot of data that the sponsors or the Viva has on the sponsors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this somehow tied into Site Vault? Like, is that how you know? what a protocol requires because 
chances are that protocol's in your system already or how how does that work? Yeah, you know, we really believe that the DOA is site owned because it's the investigator. And you and I know that that's not necessarily what we see in working practice. Like you're gonna get a template from your sponsor. And at the end of the day, it is the investigator's responsibility at the site to delegate responsibilities. And so therefore, this is all about, and for us, sites that own site vault, setting this up, managing it, controlling it. We're not trying to push in from our sponsor systems what should be on this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We think that sites should feel a little bit more empowered to standardize this process for themselves and get, because you can't get all those insights I was just talking about if you do a different setup for every single study. And that is something that we think a lot about, you know, at Viva is we have a lot of these different customers that we support and how are we really site-centric with SiteWall? And who's responsive, forget how it really works today. How should it work? And we really believe that the DOA should be something that sites control. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't completely create one that is fully mirrors your sponsor's template. You could do that if you wanted to, but it's your choice. So we're not pushing it in. Your choice. The Mm -hmm. biggest, to me, the biggest like issue with those DOA logs is that other And they tell you, you know, you put, because like you said, it's ultimately the PI's responsibility. So if the sponsor didn't think of it, well, it's the PI's responsibility to make sure it's listed. So you can have infinite others Mm -hmm. and you're going to run out of space on that form or you're just not going to think of it. Right. So you're saying um, one of the advantages of the electronic delegation log is this is more or less removed because it's more standardized per person across the board and it really takes it it gives the site more ownership basically is what i'm hearing you say yeah and we do have some customers like more complex that have you know some of our higher end complex customers that might put 60 or 70 people on a delegation of authority log which i'm not saying i'm not trying to be an advocate for that but i'm saying that you know when they have this role of the clinical staff train on the protocol and the clinical nurse is the research nurse they really can't get around it and in those instances they want standards and efficiency across their studies and mm-hmm. we they have been doing kind of this more standardized way of working as i'm describing for a long time even on paper yeah I've, I, when I was at Vanderbilt, we would annually update everyone's responsibilities on one piece of paper. So this was before electronic, you wow. know, and the PI was, would sign off on it and say, I approve that this person does this. And we had an SOP and we didn't do study specific. It's not a regulatory requirement to actually have a DOA for a study. Mm, wow. It's just been something that sponsors get used to tracking responsibilities. Right. And right. I see. So the site truly does have the right to take ownership of this DOA log. Absolutely. Because the way we've always done it at small sites and still to this day, we, I mean, we have coordinators and sub eyes and PIs, but we, we don't assign responsibilities until we know what the protocol needs. Like, yeah. Right. We may not have a study that needs um, an ultrasound. Okay, well, then we don't need to put this responsibility. But when we do, then all the coordinators have it. 
so we're almost like the reverse of the big AMCs where we don't have <laughs> we don't we don't have someone unless we need it, and then somebody's gonna do it. <laughs> That's right, right. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to pull a report and see like who has worked with ultrasound yeah, before? Of but we or can do to be able to see like this? this person's never done that. So maybe we should give them a little training, you know. Um, so we can have access to these reports as site vault users. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I didn't know that. And and it's funny because so I know earlier I said like this is kind of the big barrier, like the big hurdle. And like once you adopt getting rid of your paper, you start to come to the system over and over again to be like, this is my source of everything. And you start to go, there's like reports and dashboards in here. There's electronic training workflows. There's like, it puts you in this position of now you're really willing to take advantage of all of the tools that you have access to because your source is not your share drive or your binder anymore. And it kind of, that's what we've seen with our user adoption of like, when they, when we start seeing electronic signatures and truly believing there's no more paper involved, we start seeing use of all these other features, functions, and workflows. Wait, wait, say that again. Your source <laughs> is not your shared drive anymore? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is not a shared drive. You're like, this is my regulatory system where everything is housed. I'm going to give an FDA inspector and a CRA access to this thing. Not a thumb drive, not a share drive, not a binder. I'm going to give them access to my technology, my system, and they're yeah. going to use it. Because the AMCs use REDCap, right? This, that's like well, the standard. They use it for a lot of things, but it's not Part 11 compliant. So technically, uh -huh. they cannot use it as their inspectable record. That's why they have, they still have the paper ISFs. They they do. Or they have, you know, in places where you have ANCs where they have more centralization and they have like buying power and centralized decision-making like cancer centers or central clinical trials offices, a lot of them have e-regulatory products. Interesting. Yeah. I never really mm -hmm. thought of it this way. Uh, I just yeah. thought of it like, okay, easy, quick signatures. And that was my Trojan horse to get into it. Right. Right. But now I'm discovering. And maybe that's like the natural evolution for. I think it is the natural evolution <laughs> of like, if, 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 you know, you, I'll just, I'll just throw out an example that happened to me. It's a Friday. It's about to be the weekend. I get a call from one of my coordinators. I'm managing a very small team at this time. In an academic medical center. I just had an FDA inspector knock on my door. They're coming back on Monday. I'm like, what's the study? She names the study. I'm like, I've never heard of it. She's like, yeah, we closed it to accrual two years ago. The PI is gone. The coordinator's gone. I don't even know where any of the binders are. They're coming back on Monday hmm. to inspect us. <laughs> so, so be the site vault. You get right. <laughs> if I had site vault, that wouldn't have been a problem. Um, and the other thing is now we're talking about re being reactive, but if I would have had not just site vault, but like any regulatory system, that was something that was a challenge for me as I started managing bigger teams is PIs or operation people calling me up and being pissed about somebody not doing their job or being late or not recruiting or I, 
I losing a form, losing a consent, like I had no way to check in on all that stuff because it was strewn everywhere across all these desks and buildings. And there is an opportunity to really, you know, as a site owner, as somebody that's responsible across the operations to really be able to get access and be a little bit more proactive as needed. I'm sure you've never found yourself in a mess when someone's left and you opened up their share drive <laughs> or their binder. Oh yeah. And, the bind- in the past, it's been the binder. Right. It's the um, nature of this work. There's just loose ends. It's just right. the nature of the work. I don't think anyone's necessarily trying to like, you know, put, put people in a bad position. No, that would take more work than just doing the work. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this work is hard. And so yeah. you don't have that opportunity to do checks and balances too, if you're still working off the paper or working off of drives that not everyone has access to, or maybe you have access to it, but it's such a mess and it's become so personalized to that person. You, you don't even know what's in there. You guys must have thought of this for a while because there's very smart people there at Viva. I know. I don't know how I got this job. <laughs> no, I, yeah, of course we do. Bree, first of all, you're site centric. I well, that's one of the things. Just a side topic. Viva does really well, especially site vault folks. I don't know really the other folks, but site like everyone who works there pretty much is like site background. That CRC, right. like you. You've lived the life. But anyways, where was I? Oh yeah, how do you guys keep? How do you guys keep this thing from not getting messy? Because the more things you add, you know, I'm sure people are request sites are requesting all the time. Hey, we would like this. We would like that. Then it just becomes a digital version of messy paper (laughs) ISF. I mean, that's like the philosophical concern, I guess, with Mm. anything tech, like it can get messy too. And Mm -hmm. how do you guys prevent that? Yeah. I mean, we we really are kind of going in principle is simple is better. We shouldn't have hundreds of options for how you're going to classify a document in something like SiteVault because inevitably then you'll start to have people taking the same document and picking different options for it, like you said, and things become a mess quickly. So we um, really make people plead their case. But the other thing, like to get in a new document type into the system, but the other thing is when you have things like pick lists and like metadata, which you can't get on a share driver paper, meaning like what other information ties to this document that makes it more specific? Okay, it's an IRB, it's a final approved IRB document, but I wanna pick the type from a pick list or I want to give an additional description, or you know, I want to um, be able to determine what area of my site or department or site location or whatever is accessing this document. You don't need to make different document types where you now have hundreds of options for people to pick like a share drive. You just embed a little more information around that document that mm-hmm. you can search and that you can filter on and that you can still get down to those preferences and that you know, specification people want without overwhelming them with, well, now I have 500 different document types with all these little nuances. That's what one of my user experience. That's what one of my CRCs said. She said, you know, like they have a standard folder system. You can't change the names or the order Mm -hmm. for the EISF, but they have a very good search feature where it's just intuitive. Like you can find. Right. 
what it is, which not every and, system has. Yeah. Uh, and you can save a view. It's like if there's certain documents you're trying to access over and over again across studies, you can save views and share them and, and you can kind of slice in and, and get access to different things above and beyond like the share drive limitations of like, well, I got to go into this folder. What do you mean save view? Save view. What does that mean? This is new to me. You could go into the system and say like, I want to look at all documents that are currently draft sitting in IRB review. So let's say you're a regulatory person. These are things you care about a lot. You could filter and identify documents that meet that criteria and save it as a view and name it whatever you want. And then you can just click that view and it gives you those documents. So now you've kind of cut across your studies and you're looking at everything that the IRB is sitting on. Or let's say you want to look at, you know, serious adverse events that have not been documentation around that, that have not been finalized by the sponsor yet, or your PI needs to look at them and determine the severity and the relatedness, you could save that as a view in the system. And then we would sort those documents for you. And then you could share that view and you'll never be able to get down to that level in a share drive. So that's another way that you can um, kind of give yourself a great way of working with technology and get out of the limits of a shared drive without having to have a million different types of documents that you're working on. Yeah, I could see that. That and the metadata yeah. component where sites can pull up reports and mm -hmm. see the whole delegation as as it pertains to their organization and the individual right. members. To me, right. that's valuable. Like that's those two things, probably the biggest insights for me, you know, I always thought e-source would be more complex than e-reg, but it's not. It's e-reg is far more complex in my opinion. Uh, I just thought it would be something simple, like, hey, why not just get these things, upload them, and file them in order that the ISF is like that's we can just mirror. My thought was to go digital. Hey, just mirror the paper ISF. Yeah. Online. Yeah. But this is much more than that, and I don't think too many people understand this. <laughs> well, it's a phased approach, right? So like we're talking, you know, the, the meat of this is like how to get rid of your paper. Yeah. And then once you do that, what you realize is that you need more than just a place to store your documents that's compliant. <laughs> you, you need to understand bottlenecks. You need to understand all of the work and the resources and that are going into managing all these documents. And you're not ever going to get that without a purpose-built system for clinical research sites to manage their e-regulatory. So there is so much work around getting the documents to a final stage and storing them. There's so much back and forth. There's training on them. They're sending them for review. They're sending them to, you know, vendors to look at, sending them back to the sponsor for clarification on things. And when you work on a share drive, you are not tracking all of the, we like to say at Viva, work around the work, which is actually more time intensive than just getting that final document stored. So yes, our system definitely supports all of the work around the work to try to help you just work smarter 
more efficiently and actually use the system to understand everything that's going on in your regulatory world, not just access final documents. But that's something you can kind of evolve into using. You don't have to jump all in and do that right out of the gate. Um, but we are hoping, you know, that over time we see this big wave of people feeling like I actually use my e-regulatory system to prioritize my work, to understand my work over time, how much monitoring has happened last month. And it is, was that more than the previous six months? Why? What study? What monitor? Like you can get all of that out of an, out of an What do you mean? Like you can see how long the monitor spent? On Viva you can workflows. You can see all the workflows that they're running. You can see the number of, of documents that they've reviewed. Um, you can see the pass rate, how 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 often your your monitors are kicking documents back to you with problems and not accepting them as is. So mm. all of that, when when your when your system actually helps support all of these processes and like behaviors that these documents go on, that we and our mind are just trying to, well, it's an email, it's a sticky note, it's a conversation, it's an Excel spreadsheet where I'm tracking all this. Um, if if you really use all of the components of an e-regulatory system meant to support all this work it really helps your you function better. And it gets back to helping your regulatory people do a lot more um, with a great system, doing more with less and not feeling like they're just chasing signatures all day and putting stuff in Excel and pulling up emails and searching their emails. And, you know, nobody wants to do that in our industry. Like that's not why we got into this industry, right? <laughs> so. Which, which outcome as we wrap up here, mm -hmm. And maybe it ties into psychotherapy of why people haven't switched, which I, I'm still grappling with um, just mm -hmm. easing into it. I understand not going full blown yet, but at least trying it out for signatures. What what do you think is the more likely outcome or maybe it supports both? But if sites go all in on this, mm -hmm. do you think that regulatory becomes easier for one CRC to manage the regulatory and their study? Or do you think it's more conducive to creating a more streamlined approach where a site will have a regulatory specialist and then the coordinators that basically they don't even touch the regulatory? Like which one is? I think Viva's? it helps both scenarios. Like it, this, this should help you if you're managing everything, be able to prioritize your work. Cause I've definitely been that person end to end. There was literally when I, when I, probably the first five years of my career, I had no other support people. I was doing the billing, the regulatory, the recruitment, the consenting, the data wow. entry, study start, all of it. It was me. I reported to a neurosurgeon and we didn't hire another person until we had over 20 studies and I did all of it. Wow. This tool will definitely help you with that. There's no question, like an e-regulatory system, Sightball, it, it will definitely help you feel like you can trust the, the tools in the system to help you prioritize. Um, but if you have a big team and everyone's just, you know, you have a team that's just doing regulatory because you've now had to start specializing, mm -hmm. um, no question, this is going to help with cross, cross coverage of a big team and understanding where the resources are going and what regulatory specialist is handling more than any given time 
um, where bottlenecks are happening. Are they tied to people? Is there, you know, there's no question that this is also going to help a team. So I think it helps in both scenarios. And Viva doesn't have a, we don't have a, and even personally, I don't have a preference there. Uh, my, my, um, someone in my family right now is actually getting randomized as we speak into an investigational trial, like literally getting randomized within this hour. Hmm. And I have been very happy that her setup is to have a research nurse that does end-to-end the entire trial. It's the only person she will interact with. And this person knows the whole trial. And that makes me, it's a great patient experience, like working with a smaller side and, and having your person. And for me to contact that person and they know everything. However, I couldn't figure out how to scale that in a place like Vanderbilt when you're managing hundreds and hundreds of trials and people have specific things that they're good at and you really need to scale and you need efficiency and you need specialization. So, you know, that's been something that's been important to us all along is that we want to make a product that works for all different types of sites. No one else has done that with the regulatory. They are focused on the smaller sites or maybe site networks potentially, or they're focused on AMCs and cancer centers. We're really trying to make a product that everybody can use. For everybody, yeah, I, th- I think that's the difference because um, it's simple enough for a coordinator to not be her main gig, but to just right. have a component, hey, I got to also manage regulatory versus it's, it's complex enough for somebody to where that's their full-time job, just managing the site's regulatory. We have sites in SiteVault using the same exact system and the same pick list of documents that your team is using, and they have over 4,000 active studies in it. Hmm. (laughs) Same can be done. We think our eight studies is a lot. When you have a you when you have you know a free tool, you know there there's you don't necessarily have to pick these very specific sales markets. So that's been you know a, a benefit to us, but it does show you like. I think as a, as a as a site contribution, we can have more best practices across our sites when it comes to managing all of our regulatory documentation. It can be done. Four thousand studies, one study, ten studies, a hundred studies. We really can, I think, get away from a lot of our preferences and work work better as an industry from a site side, and save a lot of time and make the people doing this regulatory work a lot happier. Um, but it starts with getting rid of the paper. Yeah, which is people's biggest holdup. You know, it's like we've been taught don't shred anything. The sure. original paper is the original. Right. Don't shred. But FDA now says, hey, digital signature. That's, that's the original. That's the original. And, you know, even in a Part 11 compliance system, if you want to archive your paper, if you put it in that system and you certify it as a copy, you can shred the paper. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that you can do um, with these technologies is for studies that, you know, you're closing out and there's still paper. Um, you can, you can scan them in and archive them in an electronic system. It has to be part 11 compliant and you have to be able to certify them as a copy. So they can't be redacted. It has to have all the original attributes, that, that kind of thing, but you can get rid of that original paper. And they can't be redacted, meaning you can't, black out certain things digitally. That's right. That's right. Which is again, the way of like 
thinking about how should this industry function? Why are we blacking all of this stuff out when the consent that the patient signs says that the sponsor can have access to their trial data? When the sponsor's coming on site and seeing it anyways, like we have purposely name, not- right? Right. We have purposely not built a redaction tool in our system mm-hmm. because, you know, per HIPAA, a date is a HIPAA identifier. I'm going to need that SOP. So as a site vault client, I can get in there and get it, right? (laughs) That's right. You don't even have to be a site vault client. That's on our website and it will work across other um, electronic systems. We we did that intentionally. So if you just go to sites.viva.com, you can find our SOP library and feel free to use it for whatever system you're using. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bree. Everybody go check out Bree's LinkedIn underneath. And we also have links to Viva Site Vault underneath the video. Um, my advice, if you're not ready to jump all in, just ease into it. Like start by looking at the SOPs, like Bree said, and work your way from there. Like I started with CDAs and evolved into study startup. And uh, we're still in between Creo for eSource and eReg, but for the like for our purposes, the study startup is fantastic. Uh, and the DOA logs, like there's certain studies where they will not have us do um, like they'll they'll force us to use an eReg, which I won't mention who it is. Um, we're not using either platform, but for me, it's been Creo and Viva combo, uh, but still not. I'm still not fully paperless yet. Maybe by, maybe by the end of the year, I am. I'm going to try to get you there. That's my goal. The non-redacted things, I think, helpful. And that, that came at the very last minute of this interview. Stop doing it. <laughs> I had a conversation with CRC earlier about that. I'm like, eh, don't redact it. But I, I'm thinking in my head, like, what does our SOPs actually say? Yeah. I gotta, yeah, like, you have an SOP and then the, the patient within their consent form. Do you remember like earlier versions of consent? There used to always be that HIPAA waiver, that back page. It's yeah. kind of embedded into the consent now. Yep. They are truly waiving their HIPAA rights on their clinical trial data. So people keep trying to put the HIPAA stuff on top of the clinical trial data and they've waived their rights to that as part of their consent. So that's, we could do a whole nother sidebar on that, but I would say- We need a whole nother podcast on that. Yeah. Maybe we found part two of this conversation. Stop redacting. HIPAA (laughs) and psychotherapy. Yeah. And we should have like some old fashions while we're doing it. (laughs) I'd be down. Thank you, Bree. Everybody go follow, go connect, go check out Site Vault. It's free. Not going to lose anything. If anything else, you just get more educated about the way the industry is headed. The reason I'm in on this stuff, even if I'm not fully in yet, I know where this is going, guys. Like it's, let me tell you, it's going in the direction where Bree's sitting, not the other direction. So thank you, Bree. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Go follow Bree. Bye-bye.